Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 23 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by writers Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. Thanks very much to everyone who came to our NARS event last week. There was a rather astonishing moment that I was amazed that wasn't picked up by the Mail Online, Pandora, um, where Pandora revealed, talking about our changing relationship with makeup. So obviously Pandora took it as uh, the correct platform to reveal that she wants to put impulse body spray up her bottom. Sprayed it. I didn't put a can of it up my bottom. And I was also seven. I think they're both crimes cut of the same cloth. <laughs> you never really revealed why. I did because say... Because you and I got an attack of the giggles on stage. Oh my God, so I like cried. <laughs> um, I did say it's because I wanted everything to smell nice when I was seven. Did you have... The patriarchy, I'm surprised you didn't say, shout back at me. I was going to say, the patriarchy. Did you already have... excruciating. Bum shame. Bum shame. <laughs> no, just curious. Curiosity did not kill the cat, but it might have killed my bottom for a day. <laughs> Um, so Dolly has been very excitedly tweeting about our new milestone. We've hit half a million listens, downloads. 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 Um, Sorry, for... I'm sounding a bit croaky today. I've got this very quite glandy. glandy thing. But it's also, it's not giving a hacking enough cough to gain sympathy. So it's annoying because I'm in like dire I think it's because everyone's ill at the moment. So you never get as much sympathy when everyone... No, but you know, it's like when you when you look a bit like a tuberculosis victim and you come in with loads of scarves hacking away. Yeah, I would have you loved look, that. You don't I look TV-ish. Loved that. It would have been a nice perk, just like get a hug. Anyway, thanks anyway. for half a million. <laughs> half a million. It's, yeah, um, sorry for all my stat. boasty um, Instagrams and tweets about it. But I just felt like... Big in milestone. In six months, that is a big milestone. And, you know, I don't want to be all Bob Geldof about it, like... <laughs> worthy about how much we've slogged our guts out but it has been really difficult as anyone who makes a podcast knows so in those moments it feels really worth it so thank you so much for listening and for spreading the word and we've had so many really nice emails in particular over the last week from people and they always really um, lift us up and spur us on and kind of energise us to try and make it better so thank you and here's to the next half mil here's to the next half million and here's also to Dolly's milestone if you're downloading the podcast within hours of it coming out as we obviously expect you to then um, today Dolly will be celebrating her birthday Um, happy birthday (laughs) to you happy birthday to you Happy birthday, Dolly Alderton. Happy birthday to you. I hope you got that. That was a Marilyn Monroe riff Aww. rather than Thank really you so creepy. much, babe. Panda's just handed me over a present. Do you want me to open it now? And a card. You can if you like. Should we keep it off air or on air? We'll keep it on air and if it's okay, really boring, then Charlie can okay. um, cut it out. 
Oh my god, okay, I don't want to get listeners too excited, but there is a box that looks a little bit like an engagement ring. <laughs> is it an, a, a commitment ring? No, I think you're, I think you're going to love this, and it's particular resonance. Oh my god, I know what it is, I'm so excited! Panda, this means so much to me, because you know how much I love it. But look it. which one it is as well. Oh, it's a panda! So just to explain, I think possibly my most successful Instagram content of all oh, time God, it's so is when I put up a picture of me rubbing the tummy of a very small sort of jelly-like animal stress ball and Dolly wrote underneath I think this is my birthday present I hope it is I think it is and I just kept quiet and procured one in the shape of a panda do you find it stress relieving oh no I just find it really sweet look how sweet it looks oh I love the way you're testing different parts you press on it and it just wibbles around my mum was hilarious because I gave her a seal and she was like what is this ridiculous thing I love that you a little panda so you're going to be on my keyboard (laughs) all the time she was like what is this ridiculous thing and then she started using it and she was like oh my god it's amazing it's lovely, isn't and it? And she whisked off three for herself. <laughs> they get really dirty as well. Oh, so I thought you were saying them... the presents get increasingly dirty. No. So, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, is that me? <laughs> yes. Oh, Pandy, I love it. I was like, did you actually draw that for me? <laughs> I bought it <laughs> and got a, it framed. I love it. It's a picture of a blonde girl in a pink dress holding two glasses, one of wine, one of beer. And it says the times when there is free booze are often the times when it's most inappropriate to get drunk. <laughs> Thanks, babe. I found this artist on um, Portobello and every single one of them just spoke to you. <laughs> I was like, this is way too expensive, so she can only have one. So Ollie and I oh, thought you'd most enjoy that. Thank you so much. I'm put that in my it's bedroom. like you at a film event or a book launch about five or six it's years ago when they were still she quite exciting. Like me. <laughs> no, she's a bit smudged around the edges. I know, it looks like she's got kind of ten layers of mascara on. I literally was like, have you got this commission of me? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pandy. Anyway, happy birthday. I hope you get Thanks, very darling. drunk tonight. I'm sure you will. Well, you'll be there to witness it. <laughs> I know, for me. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? I'll tell you what I've been up to. Go on. <laughs> so I started rereading Score by Jilly Cooper over Bank Holiday and I just forgot what heaven Jilly Cooper is. Are you a Jilly Cooperer? I've never read her. Can you believe it? You've I never know. been tempted? I don't know why it wasn't quite... When everyone was reading dirty books at school, for me it was when everyone was reading Judy Bloom. So no one was reading Jilly Cooper. I should revisit it now. Oh my God, Dolly, you would absolutely love it. Next time you go on holiday, mm. just take one with you because it's so immersive and it's so of a time as well. It's absolutely hilarious. It's obviously very un PC. At one point, there's a horse who's described as having legs as furry as a feminist. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which I love. You would absolutely love it. I actually thought, you know, one desert island disc where you're allowed to take one book. I mm. always in my head have thought, maybe I'll take a bonk bust, maybe I'll take a Jilly Cooper, because I think you'd miss human touch but so also, much. Also, it's just a, it's a bonk buster like no other. It's not like your normal bonk buster, because the world she creates is just... She's sort of like the J.K. Rowling for, like, posh sexathons. Mm. Um, you must give it a read at some point. Yeah, also, I do love... You know, as you know, I made you listen to it when we went on our romantic getaway together. I love her desert island. That's why I assumed you must have been a Chili Cooper. No, no, I really love her as a woman. Um, and I think she's really good at observing the upper middle classes, which fascinates I ha- me. I mean, I haven't read her newest one. It's the only one I haven't read because it's apparently only about horses. And ah, I just, boring. I know, I'm just... She's obsessed with horses. It's obviously yeah. been the back backdrop to all of her books, but I'm not sure if I can read an entire book about the life of horses. But, you know, she maybe... She said on her, I'm just that her next one, she said, it's going to be about football, it's going to be called Tackle. 
That'd be amazing. For anyone listening who, like me, would like to get into it, where would you recommend they started? Start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> We're all Stop about the songs today. Um, so with Polo. Polo. Okay. Or Riders. Riders is the classic. Oh, it's it? wonderful. Rupert Campbell Black. You'll love them. Okay. You, re- you really will love them. But speaking of J.K. Rowling, I've been very much enjoying The Cuckoo's Calling on um, BBC with Holiday Granger as one of the protagonists, Robin. Anyone who loved the Cormoran Strike books will just... It's so brilliant. And actually, my husband hasn't read any of them and he thought it was a really brilliant thriller. So that was really brilliant. And also, I loved the Margaret... Atwood sort of interview insight documentary with Alan mm. Yentob on the BBC. Mm. What did he, you think? That series is so good. You're going to laugh when I say this, but the Imagine episode that he did with Rod Stewart is one of my favourite hours. Was of that TV the one before? No, that was last year. It's not on uh, iPlayer anymore. But he also did a really good one with Lynn Barber as well. He's a <gasps> great interviewer. And all of these are. Not available, not available anymore. Well, I think you, know you can what? buy them actually from the BBC store. I'd never heard of Because he's a great, fun. great interview. Well, obviously, Alan Yentob is for for those that don't know. He used to be what was he at the BBC? He Top was dog the controller, yeah, of and BBC he, One and, and two. And he resigned, yeah. didn't he, over the Camilla Batmanjelli yeah, yeah. sort of Kids. scandal? Is the yeah. wrong word. Yeah. Um, but he is a hugely interesting man, and I loved the documentary. My God, she's a mystifying and beguiling woman. Margaret Even I, I've never quite because again obviously I've listened to her Desert Island Discs and I've read The Blind Assassin but other than that to my shame haven't read more of her I can't believe I haven't read more of her I want to go and read The Edible Woman and yeah yeah. even watching her on that programme I had the same thought of you I was like there's something even about her face her voice the fact that she's kind of so immersed in that rugged Canadian landscape the fact she just there's something very mystical about her and I also love that she was very straightforward in the interview, wasn't she? She kind of picked him up on some of the stuff he was saying. It was funny when you see clips of um, previous interviews when say, so when someone's like, do you think people are scared of you? And she's like, yes. And she's like, mm. what do you think of that? It's not my problem. Mm. <laughs> and then there's another amazing moment where she's this, got a woman, real presence, where this woman goes, um, the interviewer goes... I felt so sad reading your books. They all seem so lonely. <laughs> and she's like, well, a lot of people are lonely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I did think was a bit sad, which I read in a Guardian review, is that um, there wasn't more about her. Mm. Like, it was still, you, you're still left with, she said some very interesting things about um, feminism and how mm. she never meant to become a feminist writer, but it's just that a lot of what motivates her is obviously what has become yeah. the kind of feminist mantras or ideals, or those aren't quite the right words, but you know what I mean. But she is still largely unknowable by the end. Yeah, but it's but so maybe funny. That's her magic. I think that's her magic because the thing that people over and over again, when we looked back when they were doing retrospectives of past interviews, she kept saying people cannot seem to understand that I create fiction, I create a world. Yes, that it has it's to nothing be about... to do with me. So maybe that's why. Maybe she feels like if she gives too much of herself, then people will try and plant it within her fiction. And I think she very much sees herself as almost like a nutty inventor that invents these worlds. And that moment where the interviewer said, "Oh, but surely they're." must be something of you within this tale and she said do you think Agatha Christie went and murdered all those people is that the only way she could imagine what that yeah. story would be yeah so I'm, maybe it's a construction a conscious con- you know distance that she keeps yes I wish there'd been a bit more about The Handmaid's Tale I'd have loved mm. to have heard more from her about some of the conversations she's had with people or the mm. responses or whether she feels like she's been ripped off because there's a lot of books written in homage to her mm. and and I'd have loved to hear about what she thought about working on the show and I don't know, mm. I'd have loved to have heard more about that. I found it really interesting, we've talked before about how on her desert island, as she said, everything from 
uh, everything in that show, every detail, horrifying detail in that show, she was from truth. Was from truth. Yeah. And it's so interesting how she said that she something as small shows you what an amazing writer she is and how that sort of creative brain works. That she said that the reason the handmaids had those big white hats hats and the red um costume is because of when she was little there was a soap brand that had the drawings of Dutch women with those outfits on. She found them scary when she was little, so she kind of put that... Transposed it It's just amazing how you think how those kind of... Well, all writing brains really just absorb these tiny things. I read something really interesting this week, actually, about Elizabeth Moss, who plays Offred in Handmaid's Tale, the recent TV production of it. And someone wrote on her Instagram, I'm really interested to know what you think about Gilead being a Scientologist, Mm. which obviously denies religious freedom. And she wrote back saying, actually, as a Scientologist, I believe in all religious tolerance and every kind of acceptance. It's the most important thing in the world for me. Thank you very much for writing, which was really interesting because I think she's possibly the only positive poster girl for Scientology right now, if you can call her that. I haven't heard. Someone who I will tell you afterwards, journalist we know, had a very, very bad experience in America with Elizabeth Moss, where where, um, she apparently got people to follow this journalist and intimidate her and kind of stood outside her flat. And it was when she was at the, in the thick of Scientology. It's so interesting, allegedly, though, allegedly, allegedly, because she's but... really, in the projects she takes on, in the interviews she gives, she's incredibly, um, you know, this strong feminist woman. I'm and, sure she is, but it... But it know, is interesting because so, yeah. it's such a problematic religion. It is, I mean, it's just all about power. There's a really, really interesting Here's the Thing episode with Alec Baldwin that I was listening to last week with a man who is an investigative journalist into organised religion. So he did a big investigation and book into Scientology. And he said, you know, it is a structure that is about preying on vulnerability and power. And that I think that is at odds with her personal politics. So it is an interesting tension. And I'm glad that she's talking about it. I think that was a one-off, sadly. I don't think we'll get much more from her (laughs) on it. Well, she's in interviews, she never really talks about it. They're not known for being talkers, Voluble about religion, (laughs) no. Um, And also, I know this is probably really tragic, but I'm sad that Katie Price is getting divorced. Is she getting divorced? Yes. I read it yesterday. That is sad. I feel really sad for her because I feel like, my God, she fought to make that marriage work. Mm. Um, For those of you that aren't as in, in, what's it called? ensconced in celebrity <laughs> culture as me uh, Casey Price aka Jordan is married to a former stripper named Kieran Haler um, who is quite a lot younger than her I think and in their first two years of marriage she cheated on her with both of her best friends and I think they really tried to stay together and there were all these weird stories that she sort of volunteered like he'd got fat so that he was sort of less attractive and he'd stopped working so he was home with the children and it sounded like it was a sort of golden prison mm. and um, anyway obviously hasn't worked for both them and I'm just I'm just really sad I think she's an amazingly accomplished and strong woman but it's still really sad to see that for a lot of those women in the public eye who have kind of built this amazing empire on this grit and steel are still incredibly vulnerable when it comes to the emotional side mm. or the emotional ramifications of of that life and I think when you look at Katie Price to me all I see is someone that desperately wants to be loved and really mm. believes in mm. in love so I always I think back to that. um to Cheryl Cole when she did her life stories with Piers Morgan and I don't know why I was watching her um but there's this one line in it that really broke my heart where she was like all the tabloids after she broke up with her first husband she was like all the tabloids were speculating on you know what I was like 
wearing, how I was like showing off my curves, who I was like stepping out with or who he was stepping out with or whatever. And she was like, I was just a heartbroken little girl. And it's just so funny. Like mm. you just never think of... It's universal heartbreak, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It spares no one. Dolly, what about you? What have you been consuming this week? I read a very compelling and very tragic and epic piece by Hilary Mantle in The Guardian about Princess Diana. Did you read it? Yes, I did. Pretty intense. 17,000 shares so far, that piece. Really? Yeah. I've never read any of her books, actually. Oh, I haven't. I know. I don't love historical fiction. That's no, me neither. That's, that's why I've never read Incredible Wolf Hall. In fact, actually, I've just been given her memoirs are apparently astonishing because I loved the piece on Princess Diana, but for some reason that sort of historical fiction just doesn't really... Yeah, me neither. It's not what I would naturally go for but she is an astonishing writer and it is it is a beautiful piece if you haven't read it I mean it's very um we'll put it in the bio of this episode so you just click yeah. down if you're listening on iTunes or Acast and we'll also put it on the Hilo's Twitter at the Hilo and I've put it on my Twitter as well pin and, sites and we'll also for people still writing emails after that asking where is it we'll write little notes for you and have doves deliver them <laughs> On your commute. What did you love um, about this piece, Dolly? Um, I loved that it was in a time... <laughs> on your commute. We'll just drop it, flutter it down on the northern line for you. Um, this week, obviously, it's the 20-year anniversary of her death. Yes, it was on my eighth birthday. And there has been a lot of commentary around her and who she was. And naturally, some of that is slightly misty-eyed and some of that's quite nostalgic and potentially quite rose-tinted and I think what is refreshing about this piece by Hilary Mantle is first of all she's sort of the perfect person to write this epic analysis of this mythical princess and this great saga of our monarchy because those are the worlds that she writes fiction Mm. in it's written with beautiful metaphor um But it also is very honest about Princess Diana's responsibility in the tragic tale as well. And the thing that that it kind of just hones in on is the woman that we mourn and the woman that we loved. We don't really give her the respect of wanting to know who that woman really was at all. We bought into a fairy tale, we bought into a myth, and that's really what it was about, really. Just an extract from it that I loved. All of it's written beautifully. She says here, In 1992, Charles and Diana separated. In 1996, the dead marriage was buried. This was not what had been negotiated in the 13 encounters. The prince resumed his old narrative with the woman he should have married in the first place. Another story had begun to tell Diana. Cut loose, she opened the doors of her identity and all the dead princesses floated in. Those deposed and exiled, beheaded and shot. With them came the screen idols and the spoiled glamour girls. Monroe, naked and dead. Garbo, who wanted to be alone. As we grow up, we aim to be self-possessed, not taken over by others. But as the novelist Ivy Compton Burnett says, people have no chance to grow up. A lifetime is not long enough. So it kind of keys into the wider thing, I think, of these princesses on pedestals and how kind of they can be chewed up and spat out um and I also really loved the way that she talked about death narratives and she said that something that happens in modern times now is that the deathbed doesn't really exist with the same sanctity that it once did because most of us don't believe in an afterlife so she said now with people kind of blogging about death or you know people doing bucket lists or whatever we have a lot of repressed grief and we don't know where to put it because we don't most of us don't believe anymore that we're sending off that dying person to the angels Mm. so it means we're left with a lot of kind of 
emotion and energy that we don't know what to do with. And she proposes that the reason why there was this mass hysteria after Princess Diana died was that it was an outpouring of repressed grief for everyone else that we've mourned for and that we had this collective ownership of the myth she kind of became this possession it's very complicated ideas that she goes into but it's really worth a read I think and you loved that quote didn't you they were not mourning something perfect but something unfinished mm, exactly uh, the fact that sort of their princess myth was cut short yeah it's mythology exactly that's it's a story um, that quote that you read out about um cut loose she opened the doors of her identity and all the dead princesses floated in has mm. been understandably widely sound bitten <laughs> across <laughs> across social media also so interesting that they only had 13 encounters before they got married mm. and I was talking to my mum last week about it and saying you know because I was reading and I actually abandoned it and will return to it at some point but I was reading the Diana Chronicles by oh yeah Tina Brown, Tina Brown. Yeah. and it's really sad it's so sad hearing about her life like when they got divorced her mother and her father her mother's mother joined forces with her father to stop her mother seeing her children so mm. Diana grew up without a mother from the age of about five mm. for bitter reasons, not mm. because it was for the greater good necessarily of the child. But my mum said when I was talking to her, I was saying, you know, this is all so sad. And she said, but the thing is, is and I know that was just a different time, but Prince Charles had to marry a virgin. Mm. He couldn't marry Camilla, who was known in a very Jilly Cooper, Jolly Hockey Sticks way yeah. to love a bit of rough and tumble. Well, that's what the Hilary Mantle says. Here, here was presented this woman, soft-eyed, blonde-haired and fertile, I think was the way that she described yes, it. Yes, exactly it's just how she said it. I mean, I know I can't really talk because I did something about Princess Di recently for Man Repeller. It was meant to be quite a sort of joyful, light-hearted look at her iconic style. I think that was a real celebration of how much she loved fashion. But I wonder if I'd have done it now, three or four weeks later after I wrote it and shot it because my god we're in a princess diana overload aren't we i mean documentary after documentary mm. so many more since we last spoke about it mm. on the high low when i was saying that i was not going to watch that one on channel four about you know princess diana in no, her own words because it was that, bullshit no. all those yeah. tapes that were stolen not stolen a speech therapist from 1992 and 1993 volunteered private tapes where diana spoke about all these things that i just actually don't feel like we should even know but there has been an absolute deluge of pieces since then and I think what's so interesting about Hilary Mantle's piece and it's perfect prescient timing is that it reads as much of a riposte to the press yes. and this deluge as it does the princess myth yeah. and there was you know it was a brilliant piece of writing but what I was interested in was less about the narrative because I've read so many times what happened yes but more the analysis of the media reaction of the princess myth. Um, and public reaction, Eva yes. Wiseman writes very well about the princess myth, actually, and the danger of kind of little girls and sparkles. She wrote a column recently that I loved. I'd have loved to have read more about Hilary Mantle on the princess myth, kind of in that Camille Paglia mm. deconstructing popular mm. culture way, because mm. I always find that fascinating. But my favourite quote from that piece by Hilary is about Diana being a rebel. And I actually had thought of her as quite anarchic in in the way that she refused to live and talk and relate to the press like a royal. But actually, as Hilary Mantle says, throwing a tantrum when thwarted doesn't make you a free spirit. Rolling your eyes and shrugging doesn't prove that you are brave. And because people say trust me doesn't mean they'll keep your secrets. Mm. That's quite eviscerating, but mm. my God, it's so truthful and yeah, it's very we can truthful. all learn yeah. from that. And it's very fair, it's very, it's very balanced. But I'm gonna, I'm totally going to take that with me that just because someone says trust me doesn't mean they'll keep your secrets yeah. anyway I, I agree I thought that was brilliant what else have you been enjoying this week I listened to a audio mini series called No 
which is from a podcast, an American podcast called Heart. And it's a short four-part series about consent. It's narrated and written and investigated by a woman called Catelyn, or Caitlin, um, and explores, she says, her sexual boundaries from youth to adulthood. And it's weird. As I was listening to it, someone had recommended it. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you discover that? I haven't heard anything about it. it I don't think it's hugely well known. Someone recommended it to me because I'm very interested in those kind of so-called grey areas of consent because I do think it's very complicated and we're still navigating them. What's so interesting is that at the beginning of each episode came a trigger warning saying some people may find this disturbing. And I was kind of waiting for something, a really kind of visceral rape scene to be Mm -hmm. described. And what's so funny is that it actually never goes there. What it goes to is she has like a number of accidental recordings of when she believes that she was pushed further than she wanted to be pushed. This is about certain incidents in her life, one of which is with a very good friend, where on the outside it may seem like it was consensual, but she goes really, really deep into why it may not have been. And as I said, she's got this recording of one of the incidents she accidentally recorded on her phone. And she takes responsibility to the fact that at one point she says no, and then she listens back to it and she's like, but I thought he thinks that was power play, that was sexual play. And she goes into alcohol, she goes, this makes, it's not victim blaming at all, it's just a very honest discussion about the subtext of things and how we can make things clearer in a sexual situation while not, you know, killing the mood by not politicising it completely. Very in-depth analysis of incidents that I think most women will be familiar with where something happened and then afterwards they go, oh, I don't know if I really wanted to do that, but why did I do that? Was it because I felt like I had brought that on? Was it because it felt like it would kill the mood if I didn't? And the fourth episode is a deconstruction with experts of all the things that have happened and the the interviews that she does. She does a lot of interviews with men in the previous three. So it's just a really, really interesting miniseries. That's called No. Is that on iTunes? That's on iTunes, yeah, from a podcast called Heart. I'm reading Tiny Ladies in Shiny Pants, which um, is a collection of essays by Jill Soloway. Oh, great. I love collections of essays. You'll love this one. Lend it to me afterwards. Yeah, and a lot of it is in riposte to a wave of feminism where feminists said, I'm really sexually liberated. I'm going to go to strip bars. I'm going to wear short skirts. I'm going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, Ariel Levy wrote Mm -hmm. that book called Female Misogynist Mm -hmm. Pigs. A lot of it's about that. Um, It's about navigating well that's where third and fourth wave feminism often disagrees because fourth is much more individualistic and this makes me feel empowered my nude selfie makes me feel good whereas third wave a lot of third wave feminists are like what are you talking about Mm. how is this helping Mm. other women how have we got so lost yeah totally and I'm very I can see both sides of that I'm very interested in the conflicts between and actually I'm conflicted on that yeah yeah well so am I and it's it's it is really really interesting and she really goes right to the meat of that stuff and she's really honest about her journey with it and how how with age she really was that sort of feminist and how she's kind of shifted her stance on that. So I'm really enjoying that. And also speaking of Ariel Levy, who's a New Yorker journalist that Pandora and I love, she wrote a memoir this year called The Rules Do Not Apply. I found her episode of Fresh Air, 
which is... I must check out that podcast. Yeah, you keep so telling good. me about it. It's so good. So funny. An American tweeted keep us. Keep forgetting whenever I'm out and about. It's so famous, though, Fresh Air. And after I, on the podcast, said, oh, there's this amazing new thing called Fresh Air. This American tweeted saying, I love that you're recommending Fresh Air. It's like my dad recommending Desert Island Disc to a British person. <laughs> it probably is. But I just don't think it's as well known over here. No, it's I not. I really don't. I've but never had anyone recommend it to me. Anyway, it's, it's I'm going to go and listen to that. And I'm going to go and listen to No. And remember to bring me in your book, please. Yes. I will when I'm done. But the Ariel Levy one's very good because it talks about as well what kind of happened after her memoir. If you the read rules her. do not apply. Yeah. So great! Really I'm so nosy. I'm dying to know, know what happened yeah. next. Yeah, it's a great episode. I wanted to read out an email we got in response to um, last week's episode when we were talking about all female institutions. Um, and apologies, by the way, for my St Hilda's gaff. St Hilda's has not been female only for about 10 years. I didn't double check that. I just remember when I was at school, a girl applying to St Hilda's because she could get much lower grades because no one wanted to go there. Um, So thank you for all the emails that were exemplary in terms of the tone in which they informed us that we were incorrect. Yeah, they were all very they were all very kind. But we got one that I thought was really interesting actually and Dolly and I completely hadn't thought about well I this hadn't crossed my mind. Mm. Hello Dolly and Pandora. Something that you said in your last podcast really made me stop and think. Pandora mentioned that she was not such a fan of all women's educational spaces like St Hilda's at Oxford. I have just graduated from a fabulous three years at a women's college in Cambridge and what you said gave me pause for thought. Single-sex colleges in Cambridge are not very popular with applicants. I nearly didn't take up my place because I was really worried about it being very bitchy. I have to admit, I did struggle in my first year. I felt frustrated at the lack of contact with men, but over time I grew to appreciate the beauty of living in a woman's only space. It was a really supportive, relaxed environment. There was no embarrassment, no shame, only young women who wanted to lift each other up in a horribly competitive and elitist environment like university. Also, importantly, the all-female colleges readdress the boy-girl imbalance. The Cambridge student population was something like 70% male when I arrived in 2014. Another really cool thing about the women's only colleges is that they were spaces for anyone who was disadvantaged by the patriarchy. My college campaigned to give our housekeeping staff living wages, famously welcomed and supported transgender students. They also flew the rainbow flag to celebrate LGBTQ plus week. It's also probably important to say that the college has declared its intention to only remain women only as long as there is an imbalance between female and male students at university. The president said it will become mixed in the future, so it isn't a forever situation. It's just a place that we need right now whilst we work on fixing the inequality that still exists. So although I totally respect how you feel about women's colleges, and I know that your opinions are coming from your own valid experience, I felt I had to make my case for them out of loyalty, love and gratitude to the fantastic women's college that made me so happy for three glorious years. Further to that, I was just wondering how the two of you felt about these issues. I think I'm right in thinking that you both went to all girls schools. How do you feel about single sex education? Do you feel like you benefited from it? And if you had a daughter, would you educate her in a single sex environment? All my best love. Laura, a devoted listener. I found this so fascinating. So did I. Mm. I abs- uh, and do you know what? Absolutely great that it's there temporarily to readdress the... I'd never even thought of that. Neither have I to address the gender inequality and that it's a safe space for people who um, do not have a safe space currently in the patriarchy. So really loved hearing from you, Laura. And good question about single-sex education. Dolly, how do you feel about it? Would you send your daughter... My parents obviously don't like when I say this. I think it's tantamount to child abuse, sending your daughter to an all-girls school. I think it's very different when it's a college and, you, and you're and you having lectures with 
men and you're socialising with men. I would never send my daughter to an all-girls school. I, I ad- attribute a lot of my issues in adulthood to the fact I went to an all-girls school. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you on that to out myself on the podcast. I am actually having a daughter. Yay! Um, <laughs> I really wanted to bring that up. I didn't know if you we could have. It's not. It's not a secret. I just. It's a weird thing announcing it. It's a bit like. No, no. Panda didn't want to do a sort of royal. I didn't want to be like I'm expecting. Anyway, I'm having a daughter next and year. And I'm so excited and also relieved when Pandora told me it was a girl. <laughs> yeah, because Dolly said otherwise I wouldn't be able to communicate with your child. And, and which brings us back to the issues Dolly has from being at a single sex school. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No. Exactly. So as someone who is having a daughter so is thinking about these terrifying things about fucking schooling and all that shit I absolutely don't want to send my daughter to an all-girls school the friendships I made there were incredible I my school friends still make up most of my best friends I laughed more than I've ever laughed there I peed my pants more than I've ever peed my pants from laughing but I completely agree that tons of issues come Mm. out of it I remember that at one point a third of my year had eating disorders Um, a third of my year also got straight A's at A level which is great go to Mm. school Mm. but I also remember that I got up at 4am every single day for a term the way I looked at men was very different before I met my husband I would do anything to enable a relationship. I would stay at a party until 4am with the hope that he might want to kiss me. I mean, all this shit, it makes me really angry with my former self. When I went to university, I was like staggered that I was allowed to see men in the library. I'd never seen them out of like a party scenario. Mm. So when I saw them like highlighting, I was like fascinated. I couldn't believe that boys highlighted in books like girls. I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm not, but that doesn't surprise me. And seeing seeing them buy a sandwich, just just quotidian things. I'm seeing it's a day for confessions. It's taken 18 months of therapy for me to finally realise that men aren't that dissimilar to me. Yeah, (laughs) No, but also not not just not that special because that's unfair, but actually more just that they're fallible like us. Yeah, no, it's not. And my parents get upset as well because my school was amazing and my dad worked incredibly hard to send me there. Um, And I know so many happy, like the next generation of children, like my my cousin's children, for example. I know Mm. them there and um, they're having a great time at my school. But for me, personally... Yeah. Obviously, it's different person to person. But it's different person you and to person. I, and we spend a lot... You and I have a podcast that's mainly... We love our male listeners, but it's mainly about women. Mm. And I'm obsessed with women and what they're reading and listening to and wearing and everything that motivates modern women now. So for me, that's a big thing. So yeah. thank you, Laura. There is our answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Support for the Hilo comes from our sponsor, NARS. You will always find mine and Pandora's makeup bag awash with NARS products, but the one I'm going to talk about today is the Audacious Mascara. Anyone who knows me knows I have two addictions in this life. One is eBay, the other is mascara. <laughs> um, I've always loved mascara. It's my Desert Island Beauty product. I love that kind of kitteny, fluttery-eyed 60s look, and if I'm wearing makeup, I'll wear 300 layers of mascara. So um, I'm sort of a mascara sommelier, and the Audacious Mascara is a really, really fab one. It's designed with over 200 moulded bristles and lengthening hooks. And Nas's lash catching brush evenly grips and coats lashes from roots to tips. It simultaneously separates, lengthens and amplifies, creating a balance of suppleness with staying power. This uniquely fluid first-to-market formula stays soft and flexible for unprecedented buildability. 
And it's available in three limited edition colours. Park City, which is purple, Mambo, which is a reddy brown, and Minerve, which is navy, which looks great with brown eyes, by the way. Angel always wears blue mascara, it looks fab. NARS is offering Hilo listeners two deluxe travel-sized freebies when they make a purchase online at narscosmetics.co.uk. Simply type in the code HILO, H-I-L-O-W, at the checkout and you'll receive a mini audacious mascara and mini velvet matte lip pencil in Dolce Vita, one of their best-selling pinky nude shades. Thanks very much to NARS. have been reunited on the central line 25 years later. Howard Griffiths and Bridget Bard, not Bardot, plan to meet up <laughs> properly in the next few weeks. Naturally, they took a selfie too when they met on the central line. In possibly the best, if not the funniest, brand alignment of all time, Welsh fashion designer Julian MacDonald, he of the leather vests and Diamante boobies, has teamed up with burger joint McDonald's to create 1,000 Diamante studded burger boxes. You can find these collector's items, quote-unquote, at events across the UK. Go to mcdonalds.co.uk forward slash signature collection to find out more. Iconic. (laughs) Facebook's new family emojis have sparked controversy for the lack of interracial options. The family emoji comes in white, yellow and black, but not one of the 125 options caters for differing skin colours amongst the same family. MPs have been urged to launch an inquiry into the case of a five-year-old white Christian girl who was placed in foster care with a non-English-speaking Muslim family. The girl was told to remove the crucifix she wore and told Christmas was stupid and that British women are alcoholics. She also begged not to be returned because her new family don't speak English. Country singer Shania Twain has revealed that You Don't Impress Me Much is in fact about Brad Pitt. I was writing this album and there was a scandal of Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow where there were naked photos of him and this was all the rage. I just thought, I don't know what all the fuss is about, so I wrote the song. Humans have small, slender heads because of our consumption of soft cheese, new research from the University of California has revealed. Dairy products apparently have a significant effect on the shape of our skulls. Riots in the northern provinces of India in the Haryana state have left 38 people dead and 250 injured after Gurmeet Ram Rahim Singh was found guilty of rape of two women with 40 to 50 other women coming forward. 20,000 followers rioted in protest of self-appointed spiritual leader Rahim Singh where the judge at the trial had called him a wild beast who had taken vast liberties with his position of authority. That basic bitch booze of the teenies is under threat. 
Dentists have warned of the effects of Prosecco with the high sugar content, leaving people with a Prosecco smile where the teeth come out of the gum. It starts with a white line just below the gum, which if you probe is a little bit soft, says Dr Mervyn Druin of the London Centre for Cosmetic Dentistry. More than 3,500 people have been rescued by boat from Houston, Texas, America's fourth largest city, after 15 trillion gallons of rain fell in Hurricane Harvey. 18 people have been declared dead, with the Houston mayor imposing a curfew of midnight to 5am to prevent criminal acts of abandoned properties. Trump and Melania have been criticised for their inappropriate choice of clothing when visiting Houston. For reasons unexplained, Trump wore a baseball cap that said USA, whilst Melania wore one that said Flotus. Perhaps they hoped their hats would protect their coiffures. North Korea launched a missile at Japan on Tuesday morning. It sailed over the island of Hokkaido and exploded in the sea. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, Trump and Theresa May have vowed to increase pressure on the North Korean regime and King Jong-un. And that was The Top Line. I'm obsessed with the Julian McDonald thing. I have quite long been obsessed with him since a clip emerged. Have I ever shown it to you? No, should we get producer Charlie to insert it? Insert it here, please, Charlie. You're a woman, be a woman, feel like a woman and enjoy the life of a woman. You know, you are strong, you are powerful, you want a gorgeous man and you know what, you dress up and you look fabulous. This is a woman who's partying in Las Vegas with all her friends. It's the end of the night. She started off looking a million dollars. It's five o'clock in the morning. Her hair's wrecked, her makeup's running. But boy, is she going for it. And boy, she doesn't care. It just makes no sense you at all. You would love the Julia McDonald shirt London Fashion Week. So I go because it's the, my cheeriest moment in those four days. I do something that I like to call facelift watch. I counted eight last year. And the clothing is amazing. The men all wear knee-high leather boots with Cuban heels <laughs> and string vests and sort of little willy pouches. And the women are completely oiled and greased wearing yeah. little net dresses and shoes that they cannot walk in their legs do this thing where they look like cheese strings they just bend <laughs> to the sides to accommodate the shoes it's utterly unwearable brilliantly fabulously out of date and camp and I fucking love it um, I also interviewed Julian McDonald about god probably six years ago now at the start of my tenure as a journalist and I said because obviously he's got wonderful skin that's perhaps benefited from some fillers and Botox. <laughs> and I said, and what do you do to get your brilliant skin? And he said, oh, it's just um, Welsh water. <laughs> just lovely, lovely Welsh water. And I was like, yes, I love him. It My friend sent me the news clipping saying about the McDonald's burgers and he just said, Julian McDonald's in tatters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw you checking your gums for Prosecco Smile. Oh, God, if anyone's got it, it'll be me. Are you a bit scared? Have you checked your small, slender head? (laughs) I've got soft cheese head and Prosecco gums. On to Taylor Swift, one of my... um, If I was on Child Genius, which I can't be because I'm 20 years too old, this might be my specialist subject. Although, can you believe that it was I who told you about the song dropping? No, I knew the song was dropping. I just hadn't listened to it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you did text me going, it's so shit. <laughs> so to much anticipation, Taylor Swift dropped her new song, Look What You Made Me Do, this week. 
And it's already broken all possible records everywhere in the world on Spotify and YouTube, where it had 43.2 million YouTube views in 24 hours. DJ CJ is going to insert a little excerpt of Look What You Made Me Do here. I check it once, then I check it twice. Oh, oh. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. So I'm obsessed. It's a shit song, but it's an excellent PR exercise. It's this barely veiled response to everything she's been sort of accused of and every controversy she's been ensconced in to Kanye West and beyond and all those snake emojis that she dropped before the single was released having wiped her social media profiles which are it's obviously meant to be in response to Kim and Kanye when Kim Kardashian put little serpent emojis everywhere and then their fans started putting it on Taylor Swift's profiles so she's she's absolutely being completely transparent about mm. who she's addressing with this. So subtle it is not. And much has been made of the line, sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. Um, there's another line that I thought was great. I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. And it's this pastiche on victimhood, which she is regularly um, accused of occupying. So there she goes playing the victim again. One Taylor says to another Taylor at the end where there's this lineup of the ghosts of Taylor Swift. It's like all the Taylors she's ever inhabited. And you have to watch the music video before you listen to my analysis. Thank you, please. Um, or everyone else's analysis that I have cobbled together. Um, <laughs> So Rolling Stone says she's owning her bad press. The Guardian calls it, I loved this Guardian article, we will link it. The Guardian calls it a meta-commentary of self-referential detail. And there's an amazing amount of self-references in there. Like there's a single dollar in the bath, which is the amount that she sued an Australian DJ for sexual assault for last month. And bear in mind, this video was made ages ago. She obviously knew that she was doing Mm. that symbolic dollar way before that. But presciently, it comes out, you know, just three weeks after the... um, conclusion to that trial wrapped the best bit is her boy squad uh, surely a riff on the girl squad all wearing I heart TS t-shirts which is a dig at the muscle tee that Tom Hiddleston wore in the sea um, at her place on Rhode Island in their brief and baffling courtship oh Dolly I could discuss it all day long I I bet you love the New York Times who called it powerful yet joyless I mean it is joyless and it is quite joyless because I'm not so au fait with all the various academic levels of of her references to herself. It's just sonically, it is an unbelievably tiring song. I found it very zapping of energy and I don't know why when I listened to it I felt really tired. I think it's the weird syncopation of the words on the chorus made me feel almost a bit sick. (laughs) Um, But I also, I do find it interesting. I don't know if I buy how clever and sophisticated and self-aware all those references are. I think the a bit definitely def- not sophisticated. <laughs> no, I, th- I think they're quite defensive and possibly they're concerned with unpicking how she's perceived in a bid to control how she's perceived. So it's sort of eating itself, I think. I'm interested, Panda, who because I read a piece on The Atlantic called Who Killed Taylor Swift. Oh, I'll read that. <clears throat> that will be the 48th piece I've read on the single this week. <laughs> but I'm interested, as someone who is very au fait with all her various guises... Guises, but also relationships and public disputes. Who do you think she is aiming at? Because the Atlantic argues that it's um, a collective. I think it's everyone yeah. that's ever dissed her. Um, dissed. 
it's a diss track. Um, Laura Snapes wrote a piece for L.com where she says actually, and and this I think this is very interesting. She says that actually Taylor isn't reborn. You know, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. She's actually the same old Taylor. Dolly, you'll really like this piece. Uh, Laura says there's something thrilling about Taylor destroying the contract of relatability that she spent a decade carefully establishing. But Laura also calls it obsessively vindictive. Though I'm not sure that I agree she's playing the passive victim. To me, it feels a riposte of that. Like, I'm not a victim, but I'm still allowed to be pissed off at being taken advantage of, whether that's a DJ Mm. who groped me or Kanye West. Some people say, of course, that Kanye never took advantage of her at all. And there was a very interesting, very long piece on BuzzFeed. I think it was last year or perhaps at the start of this year that said she's actually reinforcing racial stereotypes of white, innocent sort of maiden victimhood and the bad black man when she kind Mm. of goes after Kanye. But I also think that I've always thought he's a bit of a dick. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to see it only within those yeah. terms. Um, Laura Snapes was actually in a very interesting discussion on Women's Hour that I heard on Tuesday, which, um, yeah, it can be downloaded as a podcast. And it was You'll about to it. female rivalry in show business, the kind of great tradition of female rivalry. And they're going to the Nicki Minaj stuff as well. And it dates back to Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and it explores the intricacies of how and why that comes about and, and how it receives oxygen to thrive. Mm. So it's very interesting. Some fun facts for you about Look What You Made Me Do. The diamond bath that she takes was worth 10 million. It's from jeweller Neil Lane. And he was like, I had to dig sort of well into the archives to find 10 million pounds worth. Many people have commented that that is a specific dig at Kim Kardashian because she had 11 million pounds worth of jewellery stolen from the heist in Mm. Paris. Seems quite below the belt, but who knows, maybe they have reached that point. There are eight backing dancers in the video rumoured to represent her eight high-profile relationships. I'm in my element and Dolly's like, this is too much for me, take me back to 1965. Spencer Pratt and Heidi Montag, the reality stars that some of the uh, cooler of you will remember from the hills, have spoofed Look What You Made Me Do. Dolly, you'll love it. I'm going to send it's completely insane it's just Spencer montaging himself with different hair colours and feeding a hummingbird from like a tiny hummingbird feeder whilst miming the words like very well it's very good miming so please watch it I'll put it on our Twitter Um, words can't really explain things such as these my favourite thing to come out of this is there's this brilliant Twitter page called at Gemma Reacts which is clips of Gemma Collins reacting to things I wondered what this is so Gemma Collins is from TOWIE for any of you that don't know I am obsessed with Gemma Collins did you retweet Gemma Collins reacts on yours someone's yeah. retweeted it I, I, I retweet Gemma reacts all the time okay so, so it's just her reacting to stuff yeah so they played the clip of the Taylor can't come to the phone right now she's dead and then it's just a clip of Gemma slamming down the phone going she's just talking shit <laughs> And it went, it went viral. And then the best bit of it is that the real Gemma Collins then did a video thanking everyone for this meme. Yui, I just want to say thank you so much for all my memes that you've done for me this week on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Like, OMG, it's just gone off. That's amazing. <laughs> 
I think the reason why I enjoy the whole thing so much, aside from the fact that I hate when celebrities aren't honest, so I just love how um, gauche and transparent this is, is that I really think that most of what has happened in the world of Taylor Swift and the media reaction stems from her having started as a young country singer and this cultural inability to allow herself to reinvent or experiment every time she tries to shed any kind of image. The smackdown on her is incredibly intense and I actually think there's a sort of element of other celebrities whether it's Katy Perry or Kanye refusing to let her be multi-faceted there's certainly an amount of expectation on her from say Kanye that she just dig whatever he's involved her in and in fact that everyone just assumes that because she's sort of so smiley and lovely or seemed it when she was a teenager mm. that she'd just kind of be down for everything and I think my interest in when people call her a white feminist or a faux feminist so not really someone that believes in kind of intersectional feminism is that what she's doing I think is very feminist because she's allowing people to acknowledge with this video for all of its problems of which there are loads and the song is shit is that she's allowing women to acknowledge and inhabit their past selves and also flag up all of those errors that your past selves have made and then and not feel shame on and to have these serious style epochs and she does she changes her style every time she's with another man famously and these serious relationships that she goes hell for leather in and then is like mortified by everyone for having and then moving on i think i think there is a bravery and there is a strength in laying that all out. Personally, I don't buy into the racist rhetoric. I don't think her hating Kanye for his long legacy of dickheadness is her enforcing specifically the stereotype of the angry black man. I can see why she was pissed off. I think he was a dick to her and I think it all started, you know, when he stormed onto stage and ruined her moment Mm. at the VMAs in 2011. But even if that is the case and she is fucking up where it comes to Kanye. I think women are conflicted and I find it particularly terrifying and perhaps that's why I feel quite invested in her as this pop cultural icon. It really scares me that we don't allow her to make a mistake or or perhaps women in general. You know, the Nicki Minaj thing, which she apologised for and they've since made up, will forever dog her. And I think some of the things she's done recently, like the symbolic $1, so not taking any money from the man that sexually assaulted her, yet still volunteering vast amounts to charity, out of her own pocket, the trial also cost her millions. Uh, She gave a quarter of a million to Kesha, as I said in the last episode, when she was fighting her own sexual assault case against Dr. Luke. I know it's just money. I know she's worth whatever it is, 300, 400, 500 million. But I think that these are still strong and significant moves and a lot of lawyers who specialise in domestic abuse cases you know in in courts have said that what Taylor did with that symbolic one dollar is more a bit like when Princess Diana shook the hand of that AIDS victim Mm. what that does in public awareness is worth millions in like public funding Mm. and raising of awareness so I do find it quite inspiring some of the stuff that she does for young women. That doesn't mean she's perfect. Mm. That doesn't mean this video is subtle. Do you know what I find inspiring? <laughs> what do you find How inspiring, How much Dolly? it sounds like I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. But did they not 
I think they sampled it. I think they did. I think it was they Jack did something. Antonoff worked on it with her. No, I think Right Said Fred worked with Taylor Swift on yeah, this. And yeah. I think they've said, I'm pretty sure I read that they would go touring with her. Oh my God, I would love that so much. Right, then I'll come to a Taylor Swift concert <laughs> with you. If you want to read an ancient piece on Taylor by Dolly and I, you can you can deep dive into the internet and find a piece that we co-authored. I was for Taylor and she was against. And I think it was 2015 for the Sunday Time style. Yeah. So we go it's way back. We go yeah. way back on Taylor. The High Low is sponsored by Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design-led products at very nice prices, aka high quality design at high street prices. Sainsbury's Home has a dedicated in-house design team of 14 and 80% of Sainsbury's Home product is designed by the in-house creative team. For autumn, the Sainsbury's Home team have taken inspiration from the great British countryside, from the interiors of inner city boutique hotels and cocktail lounges. Authentic design is at the heart of how the 14 in-house designers create their exclusive prints and palettes, and this season each trend has a signature fragrance blended exclusively for Sainsbury's Home to evoke all the warmth and comfort and spice of winter. So the ranges available this September are Nordic Skies, inspired by the Nordic scenery and lifestyle this muted tone theme exudes contemporary style embossed textures and soft accenting of colors in materials such as wood mercury glass and gray faux fur renaissance boutique indulge in the glamour and grandeur of the 1920s with stylish home accessories geometric patterns and opulent skilled craftsmanship then you have woodland walk which captures the tones and textures of an autumnal country walk creating cozy living space with warm aubergine and mulberry colours used across chunky knits and patterned textiles. The Sainsbury's in-house design team have created a unique narrative of a woodland scene with hair figures in rich brass metallic finish and an exclusive fragrance of applewood and clove. Enjoy all of those. There is something for everyone. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's Home. President Macron has come under fire for the, if I may extortionate amount of money he has spent on makeup since his presidency <laughs> began in May. Since entering the Elysee Palace in the spring, the 39-year-old president has settled two bills from a personal makeup artist called Natasha M, one for €10,000 and the other for €16,000. Macron's aides insisted there was no cover-up. Pun intended! He would argue there was plenty. And that the makeup artist had been called in as a matter of urgency. <laughs> Future cosmetic bills would be significantly reduced, they insisted. Apparently, this is a bit of a rites of passage for French presidents as his predecessor, Francis Hollande, allegedly had a monthly bill of nearly 10,000 euros. This is the socialist Francis Hollande. 10,000 euros from a personal barber. Hardly had any hair. And so... Well, precisely. And Sarkozy, his predecessor, allegedly spent €8,000 a month having his face done. But I couldn't quite find out what that meant. Has this surprised you, Pandora? What do you think counts as a makeup emergency that would warrant being covered by taxpayers' money? The story is bonkers. I'm, I'm actually more diverted by Alonde and the... A hundred and I'm just doing some quick maths. The 120,000 euro bill on his barber. But, but I think it was the, a race against the clock with him. I think he must have had little hair plugs. Yeah, exactly. But I can't for the life of me understand how you spend that much. And I also love that it's been like relatively without controversy. Whereas, can you imagine if that happened with Theresa May over here? What do you think? I mean, Macron is a very handsome man. There's no doubt about it. Apparently, his nickname is Jupiter, which Ooh. I didn't know. But I, I don't look at his face and think, 
there's a beauty that's, you know, obviously taken a shitload of money to maintain. Um, a friend once commented on Twitter that I always think now when I see press shots of him that his look and his publicity photos look a bit like he's a new cast member of Holly <laughs> But I just don't understand where all this makeup is going. He never looks like he's wearing any, although apparently a former employee of the British Embassy in the wake of this story online said that even David Cameron used to joke about how all the French presidents would come in and they were just always bright orange. <laughs> he, he doesn't really float my boat, Macron. I'm more of a Justin Trudeau woman. Oh, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. I suppose if it's like barely their makeup, it must just be foundation. But I just don't really understand how foundation costs that much unless it's made from the soft underbellies of kittens. Or, or maybe it's a bespoke mix made especially for presidential skin. I think it's that. Because to be honest, as is wrote, he'll have aged 20 years by the end of his term anyway. Like, it's just written in the stars. Look at Blair, look at Obama. Mm. The before and after pictures are shocking. Mm. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's um, a uniquely French thing, because I really... I don't see the average heterosexual males of Britain ever getting on board with this kind of level of grooming and maintenance. I know your husband is a confirmed metrosexual, but I've had to attack most of my ex-boyfriend's monobrows with tweezers. And I don't think I've ever been with a bloke who does anything other than shave and moisturise. No, I mean, Ollie's fairly metrosexual, but um, yeah, he doesn't wear any makeup. No. Certainly not £8,000 worth. <laughs> but it's so funny that there's this real kind of cultural moment of how British women should be more like French women and it seems like what we're constantly being told and what British women are made to feel very guilty about is that French beauty is very low maintenance. And, you know, they say it's bourgeois to have a diet plan, you should just eat less, you should wear less makeup, you should smoke more, you should shampoo your hair less, you should be sort of very shoulder shrugging about it. Um, and yet it seems to be a French man that the opposite appears to be true. But funnily enough, I do not see a world in which there are big marketing ploys or coffee table books being you know, sold to tell British men that they're not good enough and that they should pluck their eyebrows and be more French and be more Macron. I think with this French thing, the act of omission can actually be as manufactured as addition. So, for example, not dieting but eating less. That's still an intentional Mm. act. And not every act of self-improvement is one of artificial layers, if if that makes sense. Mm. I, Mm. I still think that kind of art of being French is just as manufactured as the art or lack of artfulness of being of being British. Although it does seem remarkably un-French, Macron's beauty regime, doesn't it? I would say generally, though, French men are probably more concerned with grooming than Englishmen. I think They're quite even, fragranced. Yeah, very fragranced. You never see um, a man wearing a pink cashmere jumper knotted over the shoulders in, you know, Bolton. But you see that. No, not in, you see that in most towns in France, most regional towns in France. Not in, not in Bolton. To gender politicise this for a moment, because yes, why wouldn't we? As you mentioned the Theresa May thing, that was one of the first things that went through my head. And I did wonder what would happen if this bill had appeared for a female leader. And I know reports have said Macron has come under fire and obviously we can't gauge the mood in France. But really, all the commentary that I've found around it have been very much along the lines of, oh, daft old President Macron with his silly makeup. What's he like? You know, how metrosexual is your man, ladies? It did slightly annoy me because when I think that the suitability and eligibility of our prime minister was properly thrown into question when it was revealed she bought one pair of leather trousers for £900. Mm. I do feel like if a woman was spending this much public money on makeup, there would be a real national mood shift towards her and she would be branded as self-obsessed, vain, untrustworthy. I almost 
would hazard a guess that people would question whether she was fit for the job. Definitely. And I know that sounds like an ex- I'm jumping to an extreme conclusion, but I'm glad you agree with me because I really can imagine a world in which that would happen. Yeah, I think the polls would be really affected. I mean, those fucking leather trousers. I remember reading in one critique of Fiona Hill, one of Theresa May's ghastly aides who was sacked along with Nick Timothy, that it was actually Fiona Hill's fault because she didn't oversee the photo shoot properly and May had just gone AWOL and selected her own trousers <laughs> and not noticing the price tag. But I I felt really conflicted over that because I think it's important not to get too high and mighty about these things. A bit like if you cared about people starving in the Sudan, you wouldn't spend money on trousers. You know, you can really escalate that. Mm. And ultimately, I think it's really important to remember that Theresa May earns a good salary of £150,000 a year. And it's up to her what she spends her money on, whether that's a £900 pair of chocolate brown leather trousers. She has no children to mm. spend money on. She barely has any time off. She loves fashion as well. She's always loved fashion. Always loves fashion. She doesn't have any time off. She goes on the occasional holiday, like that hiking one she went on with her husband earlier this summer. But I don't I don't think that spending £900 for own money affects her policy-making no. skills. No. If she was buying a pair every month with the public's money, like Macron's foundation habit, then that would be a very different story. I've just had a thought about this grooming. Maybe it's invisible. Maybe he has, like, really expensive ball sack I did ring. think that. I did think that. Because what would warrant an emergency? Something to do with the balls. <laughs> We've now got... A- literally five minutes to read out a question um, for Ask the Hilo. I'm sorry that we are running out of time um, but we'll go very quickly. Dolly, off you go. Dear Dolly and Pandora, I find myself in a difficult situation. Earlier this year I met a boy through my flatmate whom I've lived with for two years. We dated for a couple of months but then he decided he wanted to be friends. It was tough because due to our mutual friends I saw him a lot but life moves on. He and the flatmate who introduced us have been spending an increasing amount of time together, sleeping at each other's houses, hanging out with each other's families and cuddling in front of me while watching films all while still being just friends then my flatmate told me that they're now in a relationship we were planning on moving into a flat just the two of us in October but now I don't know if that's a good idea if I tell her I don't want to live with her anymore I risk ruining what is left of our friendship and I really hate to let a boy come between us but if we do go for the two bed their relationship will be a daily part of my life she has said that it's up to me if he spends time at our flat or not but if I say he can't and I really don't want to be that person she will just end up living at his I just feel like I've spent a lot of this year being gracious towards them and being the bigger person and I'm not sure that I have the strength to do it anymore any advice would be so appreciated p.s dolly i saw you on the heath on bank holiday monday and wondered if you like me were hating the crowd at the ladies pond i aspire to be the kind of person who swims there year round so far i've only managed may to september were you hating the crowds at the ladies pond dolly i hated it it's like (laughs) fucking radio one's big weekend um oh god this is a really ghastly situation for you to be in however it is temporary i promise Mm. in you know, 10 years time, you'll look back at that two month fling and it will just be a tiny, tiny, insignificant stitch in the patchwork of your romantic life. However, I don't think that for now you're going to have a great time living with her. As you say, she'll just go and spend time with him. It probably won't help your friendship in the long run. Ultimately, she hasn't really done anything wrong. And it sounds like she's trying to be as kind and mm. tactful as possible but it's just a bit of a shit awkward situation yeah. right now yeah. and I think the best thing to do would be to have a really honest conversation with her and say look you haven't done anything wrong 
I'm fine. I will continue to be fine. But it's a bit awkward. Yeah. And I don't think the best thing for me and you as friends is for us to live together right now. And I know that especially you don't say your age, but I remember when I was in my early 20s, at least, like finding somewhere to live was agony. Yeah. And um, when I was at university as well. So it's probably going to be a bit of a temporary ball ache. But but it could be a great new adventure. If you do live together, I, I, I see you taking so much longer to get over it. Me too. And I also think that as we get older and life becomes more and more difficult like one of the things that is the biggest luxuries for most people that are privileged enough is the thought of going home and being able to slob around and feel safe yeah and like eat what they want say what they want look like how they want and and not feel like they're performing to anyone and I really want you to have that I really want you to feel like you have a sanctuary at home and you won't be able to have that if you carry on living with that friend as Pandora said I think you should just have an honest conversation with her and say look no hard feelings I think this will just make life easier for everyone and they don't want to feel on show or worried when they're Mm. at their home either and then as I said living with someone new having lived with the same person for two years can be really exciting it can feel like a new chapter so I would take the bull by the horns and wish them well and jump into and keep a keep new it brief situation. and light. Go and dissect it at length with friends that are removed from them because you really don't want it getting back that you've you know I don't know I just I so know these situations that you've pretended to be cool but actually you're making them feel like they've done something wrong and they haven't mm. done anything wrong mm. and you know these things escalate and suddenly you can be the one that's suddenly done something wrong. Actually, no one's done anything wrong in this. Unfortunately, it's just the way just life happens things. and they yeah. might be much better suited than you and him were. Totally. That doesn't mean you all have to live together. No, happy exactly. <laughs> But you can still make choices to make life easier for everyone. Thank you so much to everyone who emailed us. Our email address, if you want to get in touch, is thehighlowshow at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at thehighlowshow. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or Acast. It helps um, boost us. It helps the Hilo live a bit longer. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.